Well, welcome back to our planning podcast and part two. We've been looking at the new class E. It groups together different, broadly commercial uses, but which from a real estate investment perspective are uses that might ordinarily be siloed in quite different funds and in different investment purposes. A person who is looking to invest, for example, in a gym might obviously not invest into a restaurant as an example. I'm joined today by Dr Romola Parrish, who's been taking us through the changes and the legislative picture. Romola, last time you mentioned flexibility in planning uses, which from an end user perspective, I think overall we felt was welcome. When you look at it from the political and economic view of generating business, removing voids, allowing our high street to be a bit more flexible, you can totally understand the rationale behind these changes. But when you look at them from the other side as well, so from an investor perspective, for example, where an investor might think that they've bought into a building that will be used, to take my example before, for a restaurant, and suddenly you find that actually it's now within a use class that means it could be converted into a gym. We've been mentioning before that there must be some checks and balances on that. Where we focused on the planning um, checks and balances before, I suppose the next question is what can landlords or investor clients do to protect their own position? Well, starting from the point of planning application, for those that are currently in the system, so in other words, the applications were made and validated before the new Class E came into being, um, then a Class A1 retail shop on the ground floor with the Class B offices above, that's a fairly typical pattern of, of use that we, we often come across. These will continue to be decided along the pre-1st September 2020 line. So they will be considered as retail shops and offices within Class E. Now, planning authorities and or developers may seek a condition in any future application or in these ongoing applications to restrict the use of certain kinds of Class E uses anyway. But once you've implemented that planning permission, then if there is no such condition, an occupier or owner can, can convert the premises into any other Class E uses. So Class E allows the change of use of parts of buildings. So owners will, I think, increasingly need to think how their premises are let, what terms, what permitted users, in order to control the Class E free-for-all. So if there's no condition in the planning consent, then it falls back on what the lease hold interest what the lease itself actually says in order to be able to restrict um, what the possible uses of the building might be in order to control what its impact on values might be. Absolutely and going forward you've got to expect really that there will be an increased tightening in relation to the drafting of permitted uses um, which certainly within uses that traditionally fell within class A, um, A1, there, there certainly wasn't a particular um, consideration around that beyond reference to that that use class. So leases, I think, will become much more specific. It is very normal in a lease to have um, to contain restrictions on changes of use without landlord's consent, um, and that in particular might give some give some concern. So in relation to how this is going to work for existing leases, um, the first starting point for landlords and tenants will be to revisit the actual drafting of the lease, number one, to determine whether that was broad enough that it now falls within uses in Class E. Um, and then secondly, 
has there been, a, is, is there any other more specific restrictions or drafting within the lease that might catch certain changes that would otherwise be permitted within that broad class E um, and means that actually the tenant does need to come back to the landlord for consent, but there's not going to be a one size fits all on this and it will come down to what the drafting of the existing lease actually says. It will. And there's also, if we go back to the distinction between works and use, there was also um, a degree of landlord control over works which are undertaken. So if there is um, a requirement to get planning permission in order to do the enabling works to allow the change of use to actually take place, then there is, of course, another chance there for the landlord to weigh in and have some control over what their premises are used for. But I also think that there is a question over what circumstances the landlord might be considered to be acting unreasonably to withhold consent, either for change of use or for works. And I think it emphasises the need for absolute clarity in the lease of what is permitted and what is not. And then, of course, there are matters such as rent review and value and certainty for the tenant as well as the landlord and for the, the investor, as you mentioned before, which also need to be taken into account. Yeah, so what you'll find is that previously, previous provisions that had almost become in the, in the market a, a little bit boilerplate, really, around alterations or around planning applications all these things that kind of are ancillary and associated um, with the use but ancillary to the use will now become more um, uh, of more interest when it comes to these negotiations so it's, it's a really interesting um, consequence I think of this change. I know from speaking to you before Emma, that the reforms have, have not just stopped with use class E and um, that there are um, not now not just offices but potentially any uses within class E can be converted to residential under permitted development rights. Could you take us through that? Because I think that's also of interest in this context. Well, yes, as you say, the, um, the the reforms are not stopping with the new Class E. And in fact, there are, of course, the new Class Fs as well, which we're not really talking about. But um, the, the government is moving towards a more streamlined uh, planning process and therefore is considering um, or what looks like will actually happen the um, that we have currently a permitted development right that allows offices to change into residential, which we mentioned in our, our last podcast. But the intention is that this will be extended so that any class E use under certain restrictions, it must have been used that for two years and the buildings have been vacant for three months before the conversion. But any class E use that ticks those boxes will be able to convert into residential. Um, the government has widened the prior approval requirements um, and particularly including the need for natural light into what they call habitable rooms and a minimum space standards because one of the big problems with the office to resi use was the emergence of lots of tiny little shoe boxes which weren't really fit for um, proper living accommodation. So they have put in some more um, considerations in order to be able to control light and space requirements. Um, and they also put in facilities to, to uh, protect uh, certain facilities such as nurseries and health centres. But there's a lot of other legislation that needs to be put into place in order to allow these permitted development changes to take place. Um, the first is that changes to the national planning policy framework suggest that there will be tighter controls on the way that um, 
local authorities are able to use Article 4 directions because, as we talked about last time before, the use of the Article 4 direction goes directly against the government's policy of extending the flexibility of the use of property. So um, it looks very much as if the government is, is going to keep a strong handle on the use of Article 4 directions in order to prevent revoking permitted development rights um, where unless it's it's considered absolutely necessary. Um, and also there's another piece of legislation which um, is a bit trailing along behind um, permitted development rights and, and that is at the moment if you have a retail shop or you have an office they have different kinds of permitted development rights for works talking about extensions or alterations that might otherwise require planning consent. Now as these uses are both in class E, what permitted development rights apply in terms of works depends on the actual use of the building within class E. So at some point, the permitted development rights relating to works will have to be lined up with the permitted development rights for the use of the building. So again, our distinction between works and use is something which is a little bit of a stumbling block. So there will be future transitional legislation um, in order to get these various bits of legislation to actually work together in a coherent kind of way. It's so interesting, Roman, and you can really see the emergence of a more streamlined planning system that's coming to the fore. Um, there's going to need to be a lot more forward thinking on how things like permitted user and development of properties in the context of leases is treated, and a lot more attention, I think, at investor landlord level around the current use of the asset, not just the it's buying into, but also its potential future use in the context of a streamlined planning system. Yes, and the, and the trend in planning policy is, is a move away from every development needing formal planning consent. So this coalescence of uses within Class E actually feeds back up the proposed sort of planning food chain, if you like. So the idea is that eventually um, they will bring forward a zoning system where certain parts of the country are identified as being suitable for development and certain others not, certain areas right for conservation or for regeneration. Now, this much broader zoning approach has um, a number of different implications. It's, it's like Class E on a national scale, if you like. Um, new regimes such as the development consent order are likely to be more important. Um, and an example of the way that's being brought forward now is, of course, for the free ports, um, which brings, allows specified kinds of development to be brought forward in a designated area on the basis of a, of a general consent rather than the need for individual consents for every development. Yes, and obviously leases will need to accommodate the flexibility that comes from development in a zonal kind of world, which is clearly where we're heading. Um, given the current climate where we see commercial units at the moment, you, you can only see this as a welcome change if you're willing to take a global view. But I think what you're bringing out for us here, Romano, is that that does require a change of thinking in the way that properties are used and the way in which they're regulated by landlords when we think of their use, the works at the building and all the other useful things that you've brought through for us in this session. Yes, I think it's a, a more enlightened approach and, and given the very overstretched resources of planning authorities, it, it, this zonal um, streamlined approach does make a great deal of sense. But the other thing for us sort of investors and, and developers and landowners to be aware of, it does front loan 
the whole plan making system. So instead of being able to object to individual planning applications or planning consents on neighbouring properties or protecting your own applications for planning consent, the objections will not be on the individual planning consent, but on the development zoning patterns that are brought forward at a much earlier stage and on a much wider scale. And that requires a much more proactive awareness of the plan making system by developers and investors of individual properties. So alongside the lease changes, if they want to take an interest interest, um, make use of the opportunities and preserve the values of their investments, then it argues that, that they may need to take a more interest in the planning and the plan making approach at a much earlier stage than they've been used to. Absolutely fascinating. Romana, thank you very much for taking us through this, both on this podcast and on our um, podcast episode one um, in relation to this. It's been really, really fascinating. And thank you to our uh, listeners for, for listening as well. And um, we're always very interested to hear how, for, for those in the market, um, their reactions to this and how they are seeing um, the changes or how they expect these changes to play through in relation to their own business. And if you do have any observations or questions, then we'd be delighted to, to hear from you. And our contact details are on the final slides that you can see on the screen if you're if you're listening with a screen at, at the same time. So thank you all very much, and do contact us if you have any questions. But Romela, thank you. We'll leave it. We'll leave it there thank for you. now. Thank you.